I'm Adam. I'm part of Halton MC. Um, and today will be 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is the word of the Lord. And you guys can be seated. Uh, I'll dismiss our school-age kiddos to the back. Man, what a day already. Thank you, worship team, uh, for just blessing us with um, those reminders. Uh, thank you to our setup team. Uh, it's a fifth Sunday in July with people on mission trips, people out of town. And so we pulled in uh, different people today. So thank you guys for being here early to help uh, set up and make uh, our gathering possible uh, today. Before I get started, I do want to give an update on our friends over in Thailand. So last Sunday, we sent out a team of nine people um, to go and basically provide respite and care uh, for the missionaries over in Asia. And so they met and basically put on a retreat, a conference for these missionaries. And talked with our team this week, um, it's been a, a phenomenal week. I mean, ph- I mean, every prayer we've asked, God has answered. Um, our team is tired. They've been serving and working and the travel and all those kind of things. But I got a report from Luke yesterday from one of the missionaries out there being blessed by our team. Here's what they said. He said, this retreat was so timely for us and really brought help for us where we needed it. We are now filled up and ready to head back out to the field. And then even this morning, I got a report from one of the missionaries who in a kind of a real place of vulnerability said they were ready to quit. They were ready to go home and kind of call it in because they were just so beat down from the hard work of mission field. But after this week and the reminder of who they are, who they've been called to do, they are now ready to give their lives back to this thing. And so the prayers we prayed, the money we raised to kind of bring fire to these servants across the world. Hear this, friends. God answers our prayers. God uses our little funds to do great, great, and mighty, mighty things. Our God is a stronghold-breaking God. Amen, church? We're not just here just to hang out. There are people in this room that I know, I've talked to, myself included, that were walking in hopelessness. And a hope-filled God came in and rescued us and changed their lives. Friends, you know who you are in this room. And so today, we can, we praise that God. We speak the name of Jesus, church. Here's good news and bad news. Good news is I haven't preached in two, in two months. Bad news is I haven't preached in two months. And so I'm ready to go. And now Luke has preached some marathon sermons the past few weeks. And um, I don't think I'll be that long, but you never know. And so the word of God is open. The people of God are gathered. And so let's do this. Oh, man. So 1 Peter 5. We are going to finish the book of 1 Peter uh, today. Bless you. And as I was studying this passage this week, I came to this conclusion about myself and maybe about us in this room. 
say this right, spiritual drowsiness might be my biggest problem. I have lots of problems, I think, but I believe as I study this passage, look at my own heart, spiritual drowsiness, apathy, lethargy might be my biggest problem in this world. Being asleep to my sin, being asleep or numb to the brokenness and the hurts of this world. And if I start to, if some, some conviction comes in or if, if I hear the stories of brokenness and maybe my soul is burdened and I start to, to wake up out of my slumber, I have many pacifiers to avoid that pain. I have the, the pacifier, oh, I just go to Amazon. Ooh, I might want to get this. Or I got, I got social media to numb me some more. I'll just go binge some Netflix. Or maybe my greatest one, I'll just make plans for random things. And just kind of just numb myself to the spiritual reality of my own soul and those around me. Spiritual drowsiness. But here's the good news that I want to declare of us this morning. We, me, you, us, we, we do not have to stay asleep. Here's what I believe is that we tend to think this, or I do, that we're going to drift towards holiness. That we, we said a prayer, maybe we kind of go to church sometimes, we, we believe the things, and because of that, our sail is set, and we're going to drift towards holiness, passion, and abundant life. But I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning, church, we are not going to drift towards those things. We drift toward the cares of this world, and the cares of this world are spiritually asleep. So we're not going to drift. But hear this, the gospel of Jesus Christ can awaken us as a people again. So if you're here today, and you're kind of feeling kind of summery, and like kind of in a funk, here's the good news. The good news is still good news. And if we trust that good news, there is something that God awakens in us that only happens through the gospel. Your soul longs for it. It's why we do all these things. We're searching for something. And the search is over. It's found in Jesus in the good news. Like I said, two months is a long time, guys. It's a long time. We do not have to stay asleep. Let's go back to 1 Peter 5. Our friend Peter says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So last week, Luke started this kind of section, starting in verse 6. There was this exhortation or reminder to these exiles. Remember, the, the people that Peter's writing to have been exiled from their country. They're kind of alone in this pagan world, being persecuted, walking in poverty, 
feeling alone. They are exiles in the world. So he's writing to remind them, exhort them that they are in the midst of enemy warfare. They're in the midst of enemy warfare. And we looked at how we must humble ourselves and how we should cast our anxieties. When the world comes at us, take all of that and hurl those worries, hurl the anxieties upon Jesus and his cross. See, it was this reminder from Peter of our positional posture that in this world as exiles, we must walk in humility. But also how we proceed in the midst of suffering in this world. We cast all those worries, all the anxieties, all the things the enemy pours on you, throw them at Jesus. And here's a hint. This is off point. This is not one of the points. If you don't know how to do that, how do you cast your anxieties upon Jesus? Start reading the Psalms. Because the Psalms are basically psalmists over and over again, casting all their junk onto God. God, I can't do this. God, where are you? God, why? God, this. God, take this. I know you are good. Reading this week, the Psalms is teaching my soul in a functional way how to just cast your junk to God. Learn from the psalmist. That's just for free. But in our passage today, in verse 8, Peter begins to kind of, I wouldn't say take his tone more seriously, but there is in a sense like an alarm going off. In our passage today, 8 through 11, Peter has really one point. And it's this first part of our passage. It says here in verse 8, be sober-minded and be watchful. Here's his point, and it's our main point today. Wake up to reality. Church, we must wake up to reality. Just a person walking down a dangerous road might be told, listen, be alert, uh, be careful. I'll never forget uh, Shane going to Orleans a few years ago and meeting with Steven and some of his team. And they're giving us instructions on how to park when we get gas so our car wouldn't get carjacked. When I hear that, I am on alert. Okay, I got to do this right here. I am watchful. I am very sober-minded in that moment. I want to know what's going on. So Peter's readers are being warned. Be sober, be watchful. Go to First uh, Peter 4 real quick. Because Peter kind of references already in verse 7. He says here in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Like our lives are not going to last forever. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. That we should walk in this way. This sober-mindedness is so important for us, church. This word watchful translated as this word that really talks about spiritual alertness. And really a focus on your attention. You ever uh, been driving late on a long trip? And you start doing this right here, right? Right here. What Peter is seeing here is the churches in a sense, they're falling asleep to the reality of the attack of the enemy. He's saying, wake up, get some coffee. There's this whole thing happening and you're falling asleep. It reminds you of what he experienced in the garden, right? As Jesus is praying, what are his, what are his closest followers doing? They're sleeping. And what does Jesus say? He says, wake up. Wake up, friends. So the opposite of this sober watchfulness is a kind of spiritual drowsiness. 
in which one sees and responds to the things of the world in the same way as an unbeliever. So what's happening here, church, when we walk in this drowsiness, we are walking step by step with the world. The same worries, the same fears, the same reactions. We look no difference. We are darkness in the midst of darkness. And just like the world, we tend to shift the focus away from eternal and spiritual things to temporal and physical things. Our our concerns, our primary motivations, the reason we live our lives is for finances, it's for homes, it's for jobs, it's for certain relationships, as if they're the only things that matter. And it's so easy to be lulled to sleep by the enemy here. Temporal and physical versus eternal and spiritual. This morning, if you're just an internal child, don't raise your hand. Which one most days grabs your attention? This is where my conviction came in. Most days what grabs my attention is the physical need right in front of me. You know, one example is I'm studying for this sermon about being sober-minded, being watchful. And I spent probably hours researching universal TV remotes this week for some unknown reason. It's got in my head and I start, well, what, this remote, that could do this thing. And you spend hours on these things that don't matter at all. We are so easily distracted. And Peter's telling the church and telling us today to wake up to reality. The Holy Spirit, I pray, is convicting us today to wake up to reality. It's not the physical things don't matter. They, they do matter. But here's the, the problem. It's I think we've gotten drunk on the physical. Drunk on the immediate. Drunk on the things of this world. And we have no more spiritual eyes left. We are not sober. We are sloshed out of our minds on the things of this world and our souls feel it. Does your soul feel that? Where you just want more. So the question is this, how do we wake up? If Peter is saying, be sober-minded, be watchful, what does that actually look like? He gives us three kind of ways for us to look that will help us wake up. Look at the end of verse eight. We give our first kind of hint here on how to wake up. Be reminded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. One great reason for the alertness that he calls to is the real danger of attacks by the enemy. The enemy prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. Devour means swallow, to swallow up. So the same kind of term is used in Jonah about him swallowing Jonah. So here's the first way we wake up, look out. We must look out for the enemy. Friends, the enemy is real, the enemy is prowling around. But in some ways, the enemy is doing his job by just distracting us. And the lion sees us. And because we're so asleep, we're not a threat. 
And he just keeps prowling away. But the enemy is real. See, the devil here is portrayed by Peter as the adversary of the believer. It's a term that's used uh, in a sense of an opponent in a law court. That there is this adversary that is against us, accusing us. The term devil carries a more literal sense of slanderer, which functions here as like just a noun for Satan, that he is the slanderer. And the reason for these two is that the devil, much like a lion on the prowl for prey, he aims to devour followers of Jesus. Our primary battle, church, is not physical. It is not flesh and blood. It is a spiritual battle. So Peter's view here is that Satan is cunning, that Satan is crafty, and Satan is after God's people. See, Peter doesn't really kind of identify what devour means, but in verse 9, he talks about suffering and the people of God suffering. And what you see here is that the, the fallness of this world is all the effect of the enemy. That he uses all these means to discourage God's people. And here is why this is so important for us to know today. Because one of the greatest tricks the enemy does is to convince us there is no enemy. That things are just neutral. Now remember, Peter is writing to people who are being oppressed, persecuted for their faith. If those people need to hear there's a spiritual enemy, how much more do us in the West who are comfortable, who can worship freely without persecution, how much more do we need to hear that the enemy is real? It reminds me of the words of Jesus to Peter. Matthew 26, he says this, he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, you couldn't watch one more hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So to make this even more real for us today, yesterday I got a text uh, from a friend, one of, our fr one of the people from our church that's over in Asia. And they're there to encourage missionaries and got report of God doing incredible things. But, but then I had this text yesterday and it said, hey, Jason, I just had the night terror slash spiritual attack of my lifetime. I woke up screaming. My throat hurts from how much and how loud I was screaming. I had no idea where I was. It felt like this dark something was pulling or jerking me. I terrified my roommate there. She was trying to get me to realize where I was and to just breathe because I couldn't. I was in absolute panic and terror. I think it's because we, we both shared that day with this girl, a Thai girl, about Jesus. And she had questions about this faith. And she just felt like there was something literally attacking her. She said, will you please get people from our church to pray because we desperately need sleep so we can be, do work the next day. Friends, the enemy is real. The enemy is out to devour God's people. And what you're seeing with our friends over there, you see on the mission field all the time, is that when the spiritual work gets amped up, the enemy takes notice and he comes after his people, God's people. But we have nothing to fear, do we church? We come together. We, I sent the text out to friends yesterday. We, we prayed for our friend and they got rest even last night. So here's the rub. 
we're so lulled to sleep and focused on the temporal that the enemy just leaves us alone. We're not a threat. So we must wake up. There's souls on the line, including your soul. Don't the cares of this world choke out what is real. But also don't fear the enemy. That's the other pendulum swing, right? Is that we're either lulled to sleep or we're so aware of the enemy that we're petrified of the enemy. Don't fear the battle. This is Peter's next point. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, he says, resist him. Resist this roaring lion and be firm in your faith. So Peter says, look out for the enemy. Then he says next, look up. Look up to him to fight the battle against the enemy. We don't look within, we look up. This phrase, firm in your faith, implies a confidence that God will intervene. To resist the devil effectively, we must draw on the power, the power of Christ. Not our power. That's the key there. The way we fight this battle is so important. And here's the beauty of this book of 1 Peter and how we got here. See, the book of 1 Peter, this letter Peter wrote to, these, to his friends, it overflows with reminders of the firmness of our faith. He says here in, in verse 1-2, we have been chosen by God the Father. We just sang that, right? We are chosen by God. We are given a new birth into a living hope in verse 3. We're provided with an inheritance that can never perish. 1 Peter 1, 4, it can never perish because we're shielded by God's power. 1 Peter 1, 5. Furthermore, we've been called out of darkness into God's wonderful light. 2, 9. These promises over and over of the firmness of our faith. Here's the real talk. This is why this is so difficult for us because when the attack of the enemy comes, many times we blow it, Correct? When you're stressed, when you're afraid, most times that is when we act out, is it not? When you check the bank account and it's a little less money than you thought it was going to be. And then your kid walks in asking for something. And that moment your response, or at least my response, can be less than holy. Let's put it that way. And we blow it. And we blow it. We lie. We get angry. We turn to our pet sins or our pet addictions. And in that moment we blow it, the accuser begins to accuse, right? You with me right now? We, we blow it and the accuser begins to accuse. And what do we do? We hide. We isolate. Like the first sinners, right? Adam and Eve, we're just hiding. And we do this, we lose the very power we have to resist the devil and stand firm. Standing firm in our faith is not about standing firm in our works, but in the works of Jesus. That's how we stand firm. And the patience of Jesus, hear this, hear this please. His patience and mercy for us, it has no end. Dane Ortland shares this story in his book, Gentle and Lowly. He says here, think of a compassionate doctor who has traveled deep into the jungle to give medical care to primitive tribes afflicted with diseases. And he's, he has his medical stuff flown into him. He has diagnosed the problem. He has antibiotics ready to go to give to people. He is 
wealthy beyond means, so he needs no money in return. But as he seeks to provide care, the people refuse. They want to take care of themselves. They want to be healed on their own terms. But then finally, a few brave young men in that tribe, they step forward to receive the care being freely provided. In that moment, what does that doctor feel? It's joy. His joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. It's the whole reason the doctor came. How much more if the diseased are not just strangers, but the doctor's own family. The same is with us as with Christ. He does not, church, hear this. He does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon. That's the whole point. It's what Jesus came to heal. He never gets tired of you coming to him. You coming to him means you need him. He went down into the horror of death on the cross and he plunged out through the other side so that he could provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. He does not get weary of his people. He's saying, come to me all who are weary and need help. The only thing that you have to bring is your neediness. He does not grow weary. And as we learn that, we learn to resist the enemy and stand firm in our faith. We stand firm, not in our works or our goodness or what we've done. We stand in his works. And that, friends, is power. It is power. It is freedom. This mercy, this grace is the foundation that we sit on and how we resist the devil. We must learn to constantly look and come to Christ and let him make us firm. We must learn to look up. We must learn to look up. Look at the end of verse nine. It's a great reminder as well. Resist him, be firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What Peter is saying here, friends, is suffering is a part of the church. It's a part of the world. We are not going to escape it. But there is something that helps us as the people of God walk through suffering as we walk with each other. Basically, here's the point. We cannot look up by ourselves. Church, we cannot steadfastly look up by ourselves. If you did a, a map of your spiritual life, I, I would bet you, well, we can't bet, I would, I would uh, challenge you um, that the deepest pits of your spiritual life or where you've walked away from God have been done in isolation. Because if you're like me, um, you have a story of blowing it. You have a story this week of blowing it, right? All of us in this room, we've blown it this week. Have blown it this week in all kinds of ways. And we have, two, we have two kind of reactions we can do. We can look down and walk in isolation or we can grab a brother or a sister and look up together. There is something supernatural about me sharing, me confessing a sin, 
uh, me sharing a burden and having a brother or sister in Christ remind me of God's grace. Something supernatural about that. Friends, you will never look up alone. Now, can God supernaturally change your heart in a moment? Absolutely. But for the life of your spiritual walk, you must do it with other people. Also free. Suffering is real. You're a human, right? We know this. Suffering is real. We should not try to talk around it. Suffering is real. It's a fallen world. But hear this. Hear this. Peter's last point. Suffering does not last forever. That should be an amen. Suffering does not last forever, church. Verse 10, he says this, after you have suffered a little while. You know, um, I've taken a lot of counselor classes and you would never tell a person, it's only a little while you're gonna suffer. Because when you're in the midst of suffering, it never feels like a little while, does it? But look at going, the God of all grace, who has called you, to his what glory? His eternal glory. He himself will restore, will confirm, will strengthen, and will establish you. So we have to look out. There's a real enemy. We have to look up with others to find God. But last, we must look forward. We must look forward to what is to come. This is what I call the vacation principle, right? So um, teachers in the room, I am sorry, we're in the last days for you guys. And I know it's, uh, you love your kids and it's a great time to be with them. Um, but you know, uh, if, it's, if you're a teacher and like, man, school is so tough, but it's May 12th, you're like, you know what? I can do two more weeks because I see the end is coming. Or if you had a really rough season, you're gonna go to the beach in like a month. All right, I can get through this. I can do this because the beach is coming. This is in the same way what Peter is saying. You are suffering right now. You're in exile right now. You're in poverty right now. You're hurting right now. You feel alone right now, but it's only for a little while because our God has won. Peter reminds his readers that this suffering is comparatively short compared to eternity. What's great about this is that Peter's theology lines right up with Paul's theology here in 2 Corinthians. Verse 4, he says this. Paul says this. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. That's very true. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, the physical and the temporal, but to the things that are unseen, the spiritual and the eternal. We have to put on different glasses, church, for the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Be watchful, be sober-minded, wake up to reality. This comforting thought is strengthened by this reminder that God is the God who has called us into his eternal glory in Christ. Hear this. It's the realm that really counts. This isn't the, the, the practice test. That's the real test because it lasts 
forever. And in that heavenly, eternal realm, the manifold excellence of God's character is given spectacular expression in his eternal glory. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. Something that ordinarily would cause us to step back in awe. Yet God has decided that we should not remain distant, but that we should be summoned into his glory, into his closeness with him. The promise of abundant grace is sufficient to overcome any suffering in this life. The promise of abundant grace is enough, is powerful enough to overcome any suffering in this life. What this is really telling us is two things. Suffering will not last forever. And this life is not the most important thing. Your suffering will not last forever. But this life is not the most important thing. This is the one-two punch of resisting the enemy. We look up to his grace and mercy together. It's the first punch. The second punch is we look forward to what is to come. It's how we wake up and walk in spiritual power. But hear this, this looking up, looking forward, it requires us to be sober-minded and watchful for us to actually wake up. See, when we are awake, our sin leads us to grace and Christ and not to isolation in the accuser. So uh, it's summertime and kids are home and uh, this week, uh, Hattie Jane was, I always do this, but you know, I'm here. Um, was being difficult, put it in a nice way. And um, y'all are going to judge me about, about what I'm going to tell you here, but I don't care. Uh, she was driving me crazy. And I looked at Tracy and I was like, why do we do this again? Just in real honesty, I said, why do we do this again? And, and normally when I say things like that, what happens? Enemy comes and accuses I isolate and I get put to shame. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit was kind to me and woke me up, said, get up, go to your daughter and just sit with her. So I got up, I listened for once. <laughs> that's, where, that's where she learned her from, I guess. And um, I walked to her and just laid in her bed because she, and I paused, she had no idea what I was talking about. I said, I'm sorry for what I said. Cause I didn't say it to her. And I just sat with her and I was reminded of the grace of my daughter in my life. And it's because for some reason, the spirit just woke me up to reality. She's not a burden. My sin's the burden. Her getting up is not a burden. It's my selfishness that's the burden. It's probably because I want to watch TV or something that's very selfish like that. And I'm convicted, but I wasn't convicted to shame. I was led to freedom and to love her because the spirit woke me up. And here's what I've been praying for all week long, that the Holy Spirit of God would wake us up to reality. Because when we're awake, our struggles remind us that this world is not our home. This is the story of our friends on the trip into Asia. I, I've talked with some of them and they said they have never experienced freedom like this. And they are tired and they are, they are kind of had a lot of tough things happen that we would say are bad things, 
but they're experiencing God's grace because they said yes and they woke up into a different reality. So in light of us, I'm gonna wrap up now, of us learning to wake up to reality, to look out, to look up, to look forward. How do we make this really practical? How do we walk in this this week? I've got three things for you. To truly learn how to wake up, we have to learn how to walk in practices, walk with people, and walk in our purpose. Quite, quite simply, um, those three things determine the direction of your spiritual alertness. We'll start with, first with practices. Practices of attending a service like this. You're going to leave today more alert than when you came. That's the fellowship of each other. That's seeing great songs about who God is. That's going into scripture. That's taking communion. Those ordinary means of grace wake us up. But that coffee wears off, doesn't it? It wears off the first time our kids need something at three o'clock today. And so this is the rhythm for thousands of years from the people of God, that we walk in daily prayer, that we come to our Father in prayer every single day. For history, it's probably been three times a day of morning, midday, and night, where they come and we, and we just pray to our Father. But I'll tell you, as a, a follower of Jesus, you need to have your mind renewed by truth. Your mind, hear this, your mind is constantly being